either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, I feel like this week's episode should come with a big neon disagreement <laughs> sign because people ask us all the time, do you disagree you know, disagree much about movies? And we really don't. But we have our biggest disagreement in a while, I think, this week to talk about. And uh, welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And that disagreement comes right at the top. So we dive into the life of Elvis from his childhood in Tupelo, Mississippi, to his rise to stardom starting in Memphis and his conquering of Las Vegas, Elvis becomes the first rock and roll star and changes the world with his music. This is Boz Lerman's Elvis. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? I just gotta be making the most of this thing while I can. This could all be over in a flash. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. Elvis has left the building. Yeah, I think when it, we first heard that Boz Lerman was taking on this, we both were a little intrigued by that because. We we start. I think we start talking about this movie or thinking about this movie in the in a similar headspace that we we want something new. Yeah, I you know um, you grew up. Your mom is a massive Elvis fan. Oh yeah. So you grew up. He means a lot more to you uh, than he does to me. To me, he's just one. I mean, he obviously a very important cultural icon. You know, a great. He had a massive massive impact on on music. But we've seen it 300 times. I, I, I just, I can't see why, you know, let's get, can we do one on Prince? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, maybe can we get one on Bowie finally? And so to me, I just thought, well, I don't really need to see another Elvis. However, as you said, I thought, okay, Boz Lerman, sure. Because he is nothing if not spectacle. And if there is any musician who can carry the kind of spectacle that Boz Lerman can offer, I mean, Elvis seems just tailor-made for it. I just didn't think the movie had the spectacle that it should have. Yeah, we do come to the subject of Elvis from a different space. I, I do, obviously I grew up listening to him more because of my mom, mainly. But the fact that he was such a world-changing figure, I do get it, regardless of what he became later on. Um, and I was excited by Boz Lerman because, like you, I wanted something different. And I've said this phrase a few times here in the last week, more Rocket Man, less Bohemian Rhapsody. Exactly. Or even go back to the, the, the Bob Dylan one, I'm Not There. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. Do something different. different. And so I'm with you there. And on one hand, part of what Boz Lerman does differently in this movie is a plus and a minus. But I'm, I'm with you that it's not as Lermany enough as I was hoping. When you when you think about what he did with a musical in Moulin Rouge, like, oh man, you're gonna yeah. bring some of that to this? I'm yeah. in. And it never really gets there. But let's start with the good stuff. Uh, Austin Butler is fantastic as Elvis. He's very, very good. He's really, no question. really good. And if you're not familiar with the name, you probably know the face. He's gotten his profile has risen here lately. He was just in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as one of the Manson guys. Um so you've seen him around a little bit, but he is—he's just fantastic. He's got 
the look, he's got the the speaking voice, but mainly he's got the physicality. He does. I think he's got the movements. He absolutely does. You know, I think when you look back at Elvis and the gyrating and everything that he was famous for, you only get little clips, and he always looks really smooth. But the actual Elvis, it was almost alarming. It wasn't smooth. It was sort of... It was alarming. Yeah, that's and, yes. and I think that that's that why people, the world was set on its ear. Right, people don't capture that. They're like, "Oh, look, he's dancing and he's gyrating, and they're so no. simple." No, 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 no. He really was alarming in his movements. And and this film and this actor, they don't shy away from that. It's, right. It's it's a non self conscious performance. So he's great. And Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's longtime manager, of course. Tom Hanks under a mountain of makeup and prosthetics. And he's Tom Hanks. He's great as always. He's a na- he's a GD <laughs> national treasure. We've said that a million times. It almost at this point goes without saying. He's also but as we've also said and noted, as a lot of people have, he's very rarely played a villain. And this you you would call him a villain and and that's the interesting perspective that this movie takes is because it's not through Elvis is not really the main character. It's Colonel Tom who is telling us, trying to make his case as to why he's not a villain. So, I mean, uh, we don't want to, he, Elvis has the most screen time. It's about Elvis. It's a story about Elvis. So if you don't go into it thinking you're going to get mainly this, uh, this decrepit old man the whole time, no, you're going to get a super cute guy who plays Elvis the whole time. But, but it's right. It's Tom Hanks's character's perspective. And Mm -hmm. so he's, narrating it and i liked that idea at first i did because too i love the idea of a um, um uh, a narrator that can't be trusted but i don't think that's really the tale we're told the tale makes it clear that colonel tom was the villain that's so, what that's another thing that's in- interesting it was because even though it's through his eyes the movie doesn't legitimize no. his trying to whitewash his his villainy i guess right. in the uh in in the career so i do i like all those things but it removes us from Elvis. We're detached, and he ends up painting the character of Elvis Presley as he adds to the myth. He, he paints him as more of a comic book superhero that totally, as you the phrase you mentioned when we were talking about it, removes the character's agency, and then, as I put it in the written review, it really doesn't make him accountable for anything in his own life as a human being. No, and in, the, and in that way, it reminds me of Bohemian Rhapsody in that we, we never get to, it's like it's never Elvis's fault. We see one possible dalliance. You know, nobody points out that his girlfriend was a 14-year-old before he married her. Before he married her. I mean, it really does sanitize Elvis's behavior so that then when he finally is a drug addict, you realize, oh, it's not really his fault. Nothing is his fault. I didn't care for that. And because it's detached like that, it also really skirts some very serious things and, and important things in his career, like him rising to prominence because uh, because he was white yeah. but sounded quote-unquote black that got him airplay and that you know they try to push him into a a um, community of artists like bb king like big boy crudup and on and on and on and you want to dive into may, may, are, is he getting too much credit there um or and the, and you're and you're pardon the phrase whitewashing the fact that that music was whitewashed and taken from its roots, uh, whether he was complicit in it or not. And so it kind of skirts that. And then the the racism that erupted from him doing that, from the white community, again, it was sort of just touched on, but not, 
enough for my taste. So there's a lot of important things there in the Elvis myth and the Elvis making that were kind of skirted over because of the way the character is painted in this film. So Yeah, well, it, I mean, and worse for me is that during, particularly during that segment, the way, as you say, they sort of superheroize yeah. Elvis the, it really treads the white savior trope does. right does. there as if, oh, no, he didn't take advantage of this. He was really a leader. You, no, stop it. Just stop it. Yeah, and, and as he was either very naive or stupid. Um, and again, ev- nothing is accountable for his role as a human being in his own life. That's the way, because early on, he doesn't just pretend to make him a superhero. He pretty much does. Yeah, he does. Lerman divides the film into frames like a comic book Panels, yeah. and puts a little uh, the taking care of business lightning bolt on the boy who's playing young Elvis's chest and look at him like a Superman, like yeah. a superhero. Oh, for sure. So it's it's very it's very literal in that sense. Um, so yeah, that I wasn't wild about, but there are some Boz Lermanesque uh, touches to it. Just just not enough. There are some very very successful musical segments many of them are muted i think that they they get going and then they're over too quickly and and i get it the running time is two and a half hours right you got to make some cuts but but still um when it's about a mythical such a legendary musical figure you expect maybe a little bit more the uh the if i can dream sequence from (coughs) excuse me from his big comeback special in 1968 that is very powerful it is it's i mean and i loved uh when he first starts in vegas when he's when he's just sort of rehearsing mm-hmm. with the with yes, the band that was and cool. how that turns into his first live performance. Yeah. I thought that was really well staged. Yeah, there are some, but just in the end, I did. I wanted more of that. Go for it. Go way, way over. Do Moulin Rouge this thing. Yeah. That's yeah. what I really would have liked, I think. But uh, but still, I did enjoy it. I didn't love it. I, did, I was entertained by it. Also, if you are a longtime Elvis fan or, or, or know a lot, you'll notice... If you keep your eyes peeled, he Bert Lerman does work in actual clips, still photos, little videos of the real Elvis, and some audio as well. It's not always canned. It's not always lips. I mean, it's not always uh, recreated. Uh, sometimes it's lip sync for the real song. So it's 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 a little bit of both. And of course, you get a lot of archival footage at the very end if you hang for that. But all in all, yes, I did find it entertaining. I, I think we both wanted more yeah. from Lerman, but you you weren't entertained by it really at all, and I was. You know, I, I was in bits and pieces, but it, it felt very, very long to me, and it took a really long time for me to get into it. In fact, I think I did, I disliked it, or I almost disliked it, right up until the sequence where he gets arrested after he's on stage. So when uh-huh. he shows up for that sequence, when he's on stage there, I loved that performance. I loved, I liked that part of it. But up until then, it really, it didn't have me. Yeah. But uh, I do expect some serious awards consideration for Austin Butler near the end. I mean, I know it's early. Well, actually, it's almost halfway. It's, <laughs> I say that now, but the year's almost half over. It is half over. It is half End of July now. Holy moly. Um, and, of course, for Tom Hanks, because he pretty much always is. The two very good performances, and I think a, a real star-making breakout performance from Austin Butler. He is just great. But uh, you've got one thumbs up and one thumbs down here. It doesn't happen very often. It does not. But it's happening now for Boz Lerman's Elvis. And actually, we have a bit of a disagreement here, just not as much in this next movie. After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. This is The Black Phone. Hello? Don't hang up. Who are you? You know 
combination lock on the inside of the storm door. What's the combination? Hang up the phone! You don't have much time. You're gonna use a weapon. You raise the phone, step back, and swing. Look what you made me do. Please hurry! You remember what I told you? There's someday I have to stand up for myself. Someday is today, Finn. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one, really based on the poster yes. for a long time now, yeah. and the trailer as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think one of the things that jumps out about this movie is it wasn't nearly as nasty as the trailer made me think it was going to be. Yeah, when I was sitting there, uh, I, I remember thinking to myself, I mean, you see a, a cute little boy and a, and a nasty, nasty basement, and you just think, I don't know that I'm really cut out to watch this movie. And um, it, it's, in that regard, a little bit safe. Yeah. Yeah, but still creepy and Very. still effective. I think this one, you liked it a little bit better than I did. It's not the level of disagreement for Elvis, but I think you liked it a little bit better than I did. But uh, but I did like it, and this is based on a short story by Joe Hill, who, if you didn't know, is Stephen King's son. Uh, and that really checks out because I think both of us felt a real Stephen King vibe in this movie. But what's very cool is it's it's often really hard to flesh out a short story into a feature-length film. Obviously, you have to add a lot of things without making it feel like filler. And I think uh, writer, co-writer and director Scott Derrickson does a good job of doing that. I like what was has been added. I wrote, for, the, for the most part, I do. They made two big changes, and, uh, and the first was, yeah, a, a subplot uh, with a sister, and that part, the family drama, the subpart with subplot with a sister, that felt very Stephen King to me. Very, and they and it and it felt a little bit it to me. Yeah, and and so I felt like that was a kind Especially of especially nice when she's marriage. wearing a rain slicker. Yes, that seemed clear. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a fairly nice marriage, and it's the weaker half of the story of the film, but it's it's not a weak side of things. So I appreciated that. The other big change is the villain. Yeah, which I really like the changes they made to the villain. And let's go back to the family for a second. I did really like, especially Madeline McGraw as oh, the sister good. Gwen. Very, very good. Very good. Do you know who she is? Um, I don't think I do. She's the voice of Bonnie from Toy Story 4. Oh, <laughs> I like her even more now. <laughs> I, uh, she's great. Uh, her brother, who is the one who was abducted, Finney, uh, he's played by Madison Ma- Mason Mason Thames, also very good. Of course, Ethan Hawke is the grabber, and he is really good, although a lot of times he's behind these creepy masks, which is something else they added that wasn't in the short story. Yeah, if you've read the short story, uh, the, the everything about the character is is visually different. But um, uh, in the in the original, he's a part time clown, and in the film, he's a part time magician, and he looks different, and he's got this top hat. But then he has these masks, and they change, you know, yeah. from scene to scene. I yeah. mean, not dramatic; they're not completely different masks. It's the same concept, but it's a bigger frown. Yeah, or I like a, that. It's such a creepy mask. It is such a really effective use of the masks, but also, and it can be hard to perform. You know, with a mask on, it can be hard to 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 make a character anything other than what you're looking at. Uh, Ethan Hawke really does. He's played villains before, but not this kind of a villain. And he really very fluidly moves from almost one personality to the next yeah. in a way that's it's more nuanced than you might think, but matches the mask. It's very, very creepy. Yeah. And we've said for a while now, Ethan Hawke has moved into a he's really upped his game. And neither yes. one of us were big fans really up until Training Day and beyond. 
but he has really stepped it up. He's very good. Um, and Finney, who is our, our main, the boy who gets grabbed and put in the basement, he's not there long before this disconnected black phone on the wall starts ringing. And part of the family, the drama that is added, they add a more of a reason for this to be happening. Uh, without, we're not going to go any farther than that, spoiling it, which I also appreciated. I agree that some of the family drama on that subplot was was forced, but uh, I did sort of like it gives you more of a reason uh, for this for this phone to be interacting with Finney. And you'll notice, probably if you like genre films, horror films, you'll notice a lot of sequences that will remind you of a lot of other movies yeah, yeah. and that enable will enable you to probably guess some of the things that are coming, but... It's still, I, even though I, that happened for me, I still ultimately did find the movie satisfying. Yeah, and one of the things I really liked was the period detail because it's set oh, in the 70s. I'm and it's, it's set so well. Listen, I'm so glad you brought that up. In the first 30 seconds, there's a car that goes by that we had in our, <laughs> in our driveway. And remember that one of the opening shots is of a coffee pot. Mm-hmm. We had that coffee pot. <laughs> I'm telling you, in the first minute, I was like, oh, my God, this is the, the late 1970s, and I'm I'm right there. So, yes, A-plus on the period details. Especially also the uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Nice choices in the soundtrack. So, so yeah, I mean, altogether, it's a really well-made movie. There are going to be moments where you feel like you've seen it before, yeah. but I, it's, the, it's, it's packaged, it's put together well, the performances are solid. I enjoyed it. And don't, if you like your horror movies, not too nasty. Don't let the trailer fool you because it is. It's a little bit muted. I mean, it's still a horror movie. Yeah, it's don't a horror movie. Wrong. It's scary, but it's not It's not one of those ones you'd be like, I can't believe I put myself through this. Right, exactly. And I did like the uh, how they wrapped it up. I did like the ending. So, uh, yeah, it's it's two recommendations for this. Just uh, hopes is a little bit stronger than mine. And that is in theaters now. And that is The Black Phone. All right, let's feel good with our next one, a sports comedy drama. Morris Flitcroft, a dreamer and unrelenting optimist, managed to gain entry to the British Open Golf Championship, qualifying in 1976, and subsequently shot the worst round in Open history, becoming a folk hero in the process. It's the Phantom of the Open. How does it feel to have shot the worst round in the history of the Open? That's hard to tell. It's the first round I've ever played. I don't know what happened. I got a bit nervous. Don't be so hard on yourself. I want them banned! What if you enter as someone else? Bonjour. Aim for the stars. What if we lose? At least you can say you tried. You've got to take these things up at age six. You can't take them up at 46. Well, who says? He's made your life a misery. He's made my life. He's made all our lives. I just need to practice. Practice is the road to perfection. He shot the high scoring major history. Does that mean he's won? It shouldn't be a surprise as to what we've lived through in the past couple of years. The rise of feel-good movies. Oh, Who doesn't sure. want to feel good I right know, now? I know. This one will do the trick. Again, based on a true story, this guy in 1976. He'll remind you a lot of, if you know the story and the movie, of Eddie the Eagle. Yeah. Remember that guy? Yeah. Who became a folk hero? This actually happened before that. This was 1976, and a guy who had never shot a full round of golf before decided he wanted to qualify and get in the British Open, and he did. And as I said, he 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 was terrible, uh, <laughs> and became a folk hero in the process. And perfect casting here: Mark Rylance, Oscar winner Mark Rylance, is perfect to play this unassuming everyman, family man, just dreamer. Wants to doesn't see why he shouldn't pursue this and why everyone shouldn't pursue what they want to do. You know, his friend at the because he's a he he drives a um, crane at a British shipyard 
And so he wants to do this with golf. His friends wants to open a pub. He says, well, why, why don't you do it? You know, you, <laughs> the world is your oyster. Go do it. His twin sons want to be disco dance champions. Do it. You know, <laughs> everybody else is making fun. Do it. Uh, so that's perfect casting. His wife is played by um, Sally Hawkins. Also Come on. always perfect. Awesome. And it's not the stereotypical helpmate that just that she's not there just for that Mm -hmm. i mean she really has the speech toward the end of the movie that really serves as the soul of the movie actually because it's also about family and not just staying committed to what you love but staying committed to who you love as well uh and it is funny because some of the lengths that this guy ended up going to (laughs) to qualify for then more golf tournaments even though he's terrible (laughs) is just really funny it's uh, written by Simon Farnaby, who actually has a small part in it as well. And he wrote Paddington, Paddington, too. Paddington 2. So there you go. And it's directed by Craig Roberts, who directed um, Eternal Beauty, a good movie, little scene movie with Sally Hawkins. Yeah. And he actually played her son years ago in that movie Submarine. Oh. Uh, since then he switched into uh, filmmaking. So it, it's just charming and funny and, and really real feel goody, um, if that's a word. If you're looking for that, this will do the trick. And just great performances. And, and and warm, just the, the warm fuzzies for this one called The Phantom of the Open, and it's in theaters now. Boy, got a weird one next from one of our favorite weird directors, set in an institute devoted to culinary and alimentary performance. A collective finds themselves embroiled in power struggles, artistic vendettas, and gastrointestinal disorders. Yep, this is called Flux Gourmet. A thousand hands applaud to That was the boss. She says what she likes, what she doesn't like. I could replace them and nothing would change. I stop and smile. We're all harboring something that needed purging. We all kind of hate each other anyway. Somehow How much of you is in this? Everything. And with that, we need to go further into oblivion. Wait till I write my memoirs. You write those memoirs. I will. Writer-director here is Peter Strickland. Uh, We loved his In Fabric, A24 horror movie from a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago. And now he's back with you. I I wasn't aware of the, what they call a food collective and and food performances. Right. This is, it's strange. It is a strange one. I, but honestly, I'm in for whatever Peter Strickland does. Because, yep. of course, we did love In Fabric. We loved Barbarian Sound Studio. Oh, You know, God, uh, yes. Duke of Burgundy. I mean, everything oh. he does. And it's always so weird. And it's always preoccupied with sound design, which I find fascinating. Which as I love. I'm, I know oh, that you do. I love it. Barbarian Sound Studio, just see it if you haven't. Anyway. Yeah, but it ahead. is a horror movie. Barbarian yes. Sound Studio. Yes, this one is. is not. It's uh, It's an absurd comedy that pokes fun at art, um, at the same time loves art. And so that's, and it's it's a very interesting and, and bizarre concept of this band, essentially, but they make their music with food and blenders and culinary equipment, and they and they consider it the highest of art, and they've, they're, they're, they've won the award to be a part of this collective. So the woman who runs the collective, played brilliantly by Gwendolyn Christie, wants to give notes 
and uh, the band does not want to take notes. <sighs> and it's just such a funny concept of uh, right there, the power struggle. And that seems very, very ordinary. It seems like something that you would find in a lot of different films about art. But it's the art itself. And then also that it's being documented by a really lovely man who is stricken with some sort of terrible gastrointestinal issues that he's terrified to let out. But he never gets to go be by himself at all. He's sharing Flatulence. a room with Flatulence. the band. Excessive. And the bathroom is right next to their beds, and it's just going on and on for a long time. There are taboos that it is crossing in a way that you don't expect, because you don't really even think about these things as being taboo, but they very much are. Yeah, and uh, Asa Butterfield, remember him from Hugo? I do Back so in well. the day, yeah, mm-hmm. he's grown up. He is. Although he still has that face. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen Hugo, you're like, wait a minute, look at that kid. Yeah, it's a weird, weird movie, um, funny, awkward. Oh, so awkward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you learn about a food collective, which I didn't know. But, but uh, if you like Strickland, yeah. it's definitely his funniest film. Oh, by by far, mm-hmm. it is. It's definitely his funniest because, as you said, as much as we love Barbarian Sound Studio, uh, that is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is this is funny. And it might give you, if you haven't seen any of his films, maybe just a nice entree yep. to use the food parlance. <laughs> And uh, and check out more of his films. But that one is in theaters now, probably in select theaters, if you can find it in your area. We did enjoy Flux Gourmet. Let's go to Netflix. Next for this action buddy comedy thriller. The world's deadliest assassin and New York's biggest screw-up are mistaken for each other at an Airbnb rental. I hate when that happens. It's called The Man from Toronto. What I do... Our only way to find the man from Toronto is if you continue to be the man from Toronto. Hey, yo, what's my name? The man that you're talking about is a, is a, is a real crazy person. One more time. Kills people, chops them up. Come on. Hola. I am the man from Toronto. Objection. No. I'm the man from Toronto. Oh, so This is on you. It's a kind of weird way you've managed to inspire me. But I don't want to be you anymore. One more time. Ow! You shot me in the ass! Your ass got in my way. Hey, yo, come on! This is from director Patrick Hughes, who did The Hitman's Bodyguard. And so this is another action-y movie. It's ridiculous. It's often dumb and silly. It's got some laughs to it. It does. It's, it's Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson. As the synopsis says there, Kevin Hart uh, is a guy who can't do much right in his business. He's trying to he's he's trying to do this fitness type of a business where it's non-contact boxing, which is not really taking off very well. <laughs> but he's trying to set up this great weekend getaway for his wife's birthday, and he goes to this Airbnb, and he thinks he's meeting the guy who's going to set him up with this cabin but he's not. He goes to the wrong cabin where the man from Toronto, Woody Harrelson, was supposed to show up for a job. And he's mistaken for him. And then just hijinks ensue. And Kevin Hart has to continue to impersonate the man from Toronto. And then the man from, really, the man from Toronto is, gets involved and in who's who and what's what. And it's really, really contrived, as you might imagine. There are some laughs. There is a surprisingly effective action sequence. Yes, they the, just wait too long for it. In the third act that came out of nowhere. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. look at this. Mm-hmm. And it's filmed with very few takes and a lot of style, and mm-hmm. it was very impressive. But yeah, you have to wait a long time for it. But you know what? This is this is one of those movies that's perfect for Netflix because you, if you already... you're not This, this movie's not going to make you go subscribe to Netflix, but if you have it, 
this is a perfect time waster. I mean, you have an eye, you'll get some chuckles, a couple of guys that are easy to watch and easy to like, and then, ooh, look at this cool action sequence toward the end. <laughs> Other than that, that's really all it is. Yep. It's just, it's so silly. It's not a, a laugh ride by any means, but Woody Harrelson and Kevin Hart are kind of fun together. Uh, and yeah, that one cool action sequence will do it. And that is on Netflix now called The Man from Toronto. Next up is an action horror mystery that's been floating around for a while. We actually got to see it a couple of years ago anyway. Now has wider distribution. That's good. A couple spend eternity in a castle until their reality starts to shift as the unknown moves into their lives called Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes. Brandon Thomas did the review for us over at MadWolf.com. Dug it because yeah. it has a real, you know, 70s, 60s, 70s Euro horror, Mario Bava mm-hmm. sort of a feel about it. I mean, they really nail that vibe. They do. And this is one, was it two years ago at Nightmares Film Festival? It was on the bill and uh, got to see it there. Very cool. This is a great one to go into Pretty much blind. Blind, yeah. You don't want to know. You want to know as little about the plot as you can. Right. Uh, It is four-language film, but yeah, as Brandon says in his review, it takes an unexpected turn, sort of like a little bit like that action sequence we just talked about in The Man from Toronto. (laughs) This goes somewhere in the third act. Like, woo. (laughs) It's best if you have no idea that that is coming. But, But spooky, and yeah, definitely read Brandon's full review. Yeah, he definitely did dig it. That's all up at madwolf.com, and it is in select theaters and VOD. It's VOD as well. I believe it is. Yeah, so check that one out. Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes. Spooky. And we'll close out with one more VOD drama. In Granada, Spain, a British tourist struggles with a broken heart as he befriends a group of young foreigners and crashes into the heart of the international student scene. It's called Granada Nights. I don't love you anymore. It's over. Why? That struggle is like energy. Yeah, well, I feel it. Good. So if you feel it, you have to stay here and you have to embrace it before you can move on. We're never going to be here again, us together. So let's make the most of it, guys, because this is it. You asked about home. It's not where you were born or the color of your skin. It's a feeling, a connection, a sense of belonging. This is from writer-director Abid Khan, and it was reviewed. We've got a first-time review. That's right. At madwolf.com from Isaiah Merritt. And we were so happy to have him. He did a lovely job, and he enjoyed this movie. It starts off really quite beautifully. It's like a quarter-century existential dread, kind of a, <laughs> you know, not exactly a midlife crisis. Uh, it's pretty early for that, but still. And uh, and it starts Breakup off really crisis. Be- starts off really beautifully. It gets a little bit kind of gummed up there in the middle, but it resolves itself nicely with a montage that gets the thing moving a little bit better. It's got a lot to say in that sort of trying to figure out who you are right. specific moment in your life. Looks great. And and in the end, Isaiah really wound up liking it. Capturing that moment without wallowing too much in the angst, which yes. you, you never want to do. And that's good. So, yeah, read Isaiah's review. Uh, and welcome to it. Welcome to the pack. 
Uh, Isaiah, that's all up at madwolf.com. And that is on VOD starting this week. All right, well, we can't go to the lobby. Well, we could, but nobody's there. That's right. Because uh, Daniel Baldwin is having the nerve to go on vacation. <laughs> what is he thinking? So Wear we'll, your sunblock. <laughs> no kidding. So we'll check in with Daniel next week. And speaking of next week, we look ahead to really one big, well, a couple, a couple big movies. Minions, The Rise of Gru is out next week. Also, official competition. Yeah, we've seen that one already. And talk about that next week. Um, also, The Forgiven. And Mr. Malcolm's List. Okay, something called Long Night. And Doula. All right, so we'll see what those are about next week. But this week, what do you think? you got got to pick a side here on this, <laughs> this Elvis debate. Uh, let us know what you thought. And uh, also, a little bit of a debate with the black phone. Was it uh, a little bit too tame for your horror tastes or not enough? Let us know. We can keep the conversation going about any of these movies. We love that. You can find us easily on our Twitter page. That is at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find any of our written reviews and also check out our other horror movie only podcast. New episode ready to drop here any minute called Fright Club. That's all at MadWolf.com. So enjoy the movies. Keep in touch if you can. And until Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. Thank you very much. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.